Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we're excited to welcome our next guest, Gary Reasons, to the show. Gary is a former NFL linebacker who has who was part of the Big Blue Wrecking Crew with the New York Giants that went on to win two Super Bowls. These are just two of the accomplishments Gary has earned in his career. I'd be remiss without mentioning that he also earned a spot in the prestigious Collegiate Football Hall of Fame. Gary's journey starts in Crowley, Texas, where his, where his football career would begin and develop before he took his talents to Northwestern State, where he would go to where he would catch all of the college football by surprise. His journey didn't end there. Gary went on to get drafted by the New York Giants in the fourth round of the 1984 draft. His list of accomplishments on the field is a mile long, but I couldn't give a proper intro without mentioning the big hit, uh, which in, is a moment in football that all fans should know about. Gary transitioned his career after nine years in the NFL and went on to have a successful college football analyst career and is now serving as the president of Pro Athletes Teams, which enables others to capitalize from the powerful networks that exist among former professional athletes. I'm telling you guys, this guy has his hands in everything when he's not working. I heard through the grapevine that he's got a pretty stellar golf game. Gary currently lives out in McKinney, Texas, but for the next 45 minutes, he's hanging out with us here on Checkpoint. Gary, my man, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Well, Scott, thank you very much. That was a great intro. Uh, hey, I'm doing great. You know, living in Texas, North Dallas, it's, it's pretty good. That's just kind of where I grew up, and it's not too far from home, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be here. Man, I got to tell you, you know, we are honored to have you on Checkpoint. Uh, we have so much to unpack in the next 45 minutes. But for all you first time listeners tuning in, you chose the right episode. Uh, we're going to take the next next little bit and we're going to unpack Gary's story from Crowley, Texas, when he picked up a football. Um, he's going to take us on his journey all the way through the Giants with the Bills. Um that is the Bill Belichick and the Parcells. Um, and then we're going to talk about the transition, you know, hanging up the cleats and then what life was like after football. So uh, we got a ton to get into. Gary, if you're ready, I believe the power is in yes. That is where success lies. So let's go ahead and dive into the conversation. Take the listeners back to Crowley football or Crowley, Texas. When did you pick up a football and realize like, hey, I actually like this game? Well, actually, I started playing football in Crowley, and it was uh, I was just eight years old. Uh, actually, one of my uh, my friends that lived down the street, his dad was the head coach of the Pee Wee football team. So, uh, kind of pulled me along, got me going. You know, I was always a big kid, Scott. I, I was one of the guys who was always oversized, and so I, you know, I, I was a pretty good athlete all the way back from when I was a young player. Um, and you know, I had pretty decent skills even back then. So I, I kind of, I kind of helped and led a lot of our, our sports teams as a youth player. But as, as just to answer your question, I got started playing football when I was eight years old. So I'm, I'm just a young 58. So I, I've been, I've been involved in football in some capacity for well over 50 years now. And that's, that's not, that's not uh, something I take lightly because I really enjoy uh, the sport and, and being around it. Well, and I mean, you've been, you know, you've been around the sport and you've been around some of the greatest in the sports. And I mean, you're obviously in that conversation. Um, and so it's really interesting, you know, the perspective you've been fortunate to be around successful people. This sport, you know, for me has done a ton for our nation, for the community. Um, so I'm excited to go through this journey with you. So you pick up the football at eight years old. Um, and we know in Texas that football is religion. It's life. This is what it's all about. What was high school football like at Crowley? Did you realize early on that, you know, hey, I could take this somewhere special? Or what was that like as you started to grow up with it? 
you know, when I got into high school, you know, I played all sports. You know, that was back in the day when most people who you know, could could play all sports, and I did. I actually lettered in five sports my sophomore year in high school. So it was funny. I, you know, I love my first love was basketball, actually. So I, I, I kind of liked the, the the hardwood. Pretty good high, pretty good high school basketball player too. But I think my, I, I found out that you know my uh, my best sport would have been would be football because. Uh, it kind of did gave me the ability to do what I could with the size that I had. You know, I didn't have great speed as natural speed with with, with players like players that uh, I, it just didn't happen for me. But I had really really good speed, but it wasn't elite speed. So I had to work at the game, and I and football was one of those where you can be play smarter instead of harder. And I leveraged my uh, I guess my intuition and my ability to diagnose plays to be a good defensive player. Because I could kind of understand what was happening with the on the offensive side of the ball, what they were trying to achieve, and then uh, it, it gave me a little quicker step to get to where I needed to be. So that's kind of how I played throughout my entire career, whether it was in high school, in college, or in the NFL, and just trying to you know be on top of the game and understand what's happening, and it helps you you know be play a lot faster. And that's kind of kind of what I did. Interesting. And, and you know, what's interesting, you talk about your physique, you talk about, you know, maybe being a little slower, but you really focusing on the mental conditioning, which will be a through line as we go through the conversation. But, you know, I'm really curious, you know, Northwestern State, it's not a school that a lot of people know about, tucked away in Louisiana, you know, so as you were coming through the ranks, um, you know, what was that recruiting experience like for you? Did you have other options to go outside of Northwestern State? Or why did you ultimately end up choosing those guys? Well, let me let me start by saying that when I went to Crowley High School, there really hadn't been anyone else come out of Crowley to go on to play Division One major college football. Just had not happened yet. So I was essentially the first uh, athlete out there out of out of Crowley High School that would would sh- should have gotten an opportunity to play Division One college. However, back in the, in the '70s when I played, I played from '76 to '79 in in uh, in um, in high school. Uh, we didn't have the tools that they have today. The internet was not around. Uh, communication was difficult. We had dial-up telephones, believe it or not. You got to ring, you got to roll the numbers and, and touch pads and all those things that you guys, young guys don't even know anything about. What are those, Gary? <laughs> anyway, so that that was uh, uh, the 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 word just could wasn't out about me. So and so, coach usually back then you had scouts who came through towns, but Crowley was not on their list. Wasn't even on there. So. It started to have to become to where those coaches who you had uh, coaching your team would have to reach out to the to the uh, scouts and to the to the coaches on these different programs to even have them come take a look or watch some tape or back then it's real to real film. So you know, very very different times. So just the, the reaching people and finding people, I was one of many I'm sure that fell through the cracks. And so that's kind of my story, Scott. I fell through the cracks because I just had not been seen and discovered by the, by the major colleges. And, you know, I was late in the game on the signing time, and I actually uh, signed with Northwestern because one of my coaches got in contact with some folks that they knew at Northwestern State, you know, and then all the magic happened. They saw, first time they saw me on tape and everything, head coach at Northwestern State, his name was A.L. Williams. He says, he says, why is this guy, why is this guy still available? You know, and they immediately asked, uh, offered me a, a scholarship. They actually flew a plane out to, to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, I jumped on it, went flew into a small plane into Natchitoches, Louisiana, which is 70 miles south of Shreveport, and uh, loved the campus, loved loved the community, and and I signed with them, and, and it was absolutely the best decision that I made at that time in my life to uh, 
to go to Natchitoches and, and go to Northwestern State because it gave me the opportunity to flourish, and and I, I stood out very very well there, and and it, and it it all paid out, and it, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. That's incredible, and and you know I mean I would say Crowley, you might have been the first one to go on and earn a Division One scholarship, but. From the rest of your teams on, I mean, there were there were successful athletes, coaches, administrators that surrounded your program. And so I'm curious, um, you know, I heard through the grapevines that Coach O was on your D-line when you were playing over that Northwestern State. What was he like as a football player in college? Were you guys just wreaking havoc or sort of put us in your shoes? Because what we see on television right now, I could only imagine what he was like um, as a college football player. Well, really, what you see is what you get. He hasn't changed really at all. He's gotten a lot smarter. He understands the game now a lot, a lot deeper and how he needs to communicate. And that's the cool thing about Ed. I, I call him Ed Bebe. We call him Bebe is his nickname out, out of South Louisiana, cut off South LaFouche, La Roche, Louisiana. That's that's where he's from, down south. Uh, yep. and, but, but he's a guy that even when we played together in college, he had that fire. He was one of the one of the players. I loved to have him in front of me as a defensive tackle because you know I I, I know he's got my back and you know he's going to take care of his job up there. And that's what people really don't you know, sometimes don't really understand that on on the defensive side of the ball, everybody has a responsibility. I mean, you just pretty much do your job. And you know Ed did that very well. And when he went on to become a coach after his playing days. He, he took that same passion and fire of the defensive line that he played and he coached them up well. And, you know, he, he, he can transcend that fire, as I'm sure you can imagine, to a young player and a, as a defensive player. And, and that was cool. So, you know, with our Northwestern State team, we had we had really had some tremendous talent. It was not just myself. and uh, But, you know, about my sophomore year, we had Bobby Hebert as our quarterback and Mark Duper as a wide receiver. Um, you know, myself, we had some other t t talented guys that, that uh, had opportunities and they played in the Canadian Football League also. So we, we had a lot of talent come through. There is great recruiting times for Northwestern State. And, uh, you know, we kind of we kind of put a little, little uh, dot on the map because of some of the some of the talented players that we had come out there. That's so cool. And, and I got to just ask from a school perspective, you know, when you show up there at Northwestern State um, and then, you know, you guys start to see success with the football program. Did that did that just sort of transform the whole school, the whole environment or what was that like, you know, th sort of through your tenure of college? You know, it was a magic time. Uh, I, I played with a, with a, a guy my freshman year was uh, was who was a senior on our, on our team. His name was Joe Delaney. So Joe Delaney was the AFC rookie of the year. Uh, when he first when he went into the NFL, so I played with him for one year. His next year, after his senior year, he went on with it with the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know, unfortunately, he died. He died that that first offseason in a tragic accident trying to save uh, some kids who had you know went into a, a pond and Joe couldn't swim himself, so it it, it, it tragically ended his life. But Joe Delaney uh, on our team really kind of started a lot of the. The, the the lookers coming into the into the campus and and when when they saw Bobby A. Bear, Mark Duper, myself, those kinds of players and ta and talent there, they continually would come to Northwestern State and watch that. So yes, we kind of had a really magical time around the years that I played there because we had so many great players come through there, and it was a normal stop then for the NFL scouts. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's it's really cool to hear that. And so much when we talk about winning, when we talk about success is around the culture. And it seems that in each locker room that you were a part of, you know, you were a cog that helped 
built this culture and you guys had winning just in your blood. And so, um, you know, as you're going through your college career there, are there any mentors or coaches that stick out to you that have that really helped prepare you for the journey you were about to embark on with the uh, with the New York Giants? You know, I tell you what, I'll take it back to high school. Um, you know, I had a, um, a high school defensive coordinator who became, you know, was I, I, I played under. And the, the tutelage that he gave me and foundation that he gave me as a player is, is pretty interesting. And I'll share with you what it is. So uh, his name is James Ivey, okay? So Coach Ivey was at one time uh, a linebacker himself in college at North at uh, at North Texas State University. And so he took that, what he knew as a linebacker, and he brought it with, with him as he, as he began his coaching career. Well, so we, we played a 3-4 defense in high school, and I played a 3-4 defense in college. So you know, basically for seven, eight years, I had nothing but a 3-4 defensive background, and guess what the New York Giants played? 3-4 defense. So I played that inside linebacker role, and I, and I had some great insights from a guy who – had played at the collegiate level, and I, I took his training and his tips and tricks, and I built on them, and it allowed me to be an accelerated player um, to be able to get, like I said earlier, to get to get to where you need to be on defense and play smarter instead of harder, and uh, it gave me a chance to, to excel, and I and I did, and I flourished that with with some of the tutelage that I had, and so um, Coach Ivy, you know, gave me the foundation, and. Uh, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll he'll give a chance to tune into this podcast and I'll make it to him. So he, he's still he's still doing well here in North Texas. Uh, that is so cool. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's always interesting. You know what we see. Um, is the end product of going out on the field and making the hits and winning the Super Bowls and all the accolades that follow both on and off the field. You know, I know that there's a ton going on behind the scenes and helping people or people helping sort of guide the path there. So always need to sort of get a peek under the hood on what that was like for you. Now I want to get to some of the fun stuff. Um, not that this hasn't been fun, but let's go back to 1984. Um, you're preparing for the draft. Did you know at that time that you were going to be on the clock with the Giants or what was that day like? Sort of bring us back there if you can. Um, take us through that experience. Yeah, we had just had the, uh, the draft for the, the USFL. So we had already gone through that and the United States Football League and I was actually uh, selected by none other than uh, Donald Trump's team, the uh, New Jersey Generals. So I was a second wow. round draft pick. So I was a second draft pick of, the, of that team, which actually played in Giant Stadium. Uh, I decided not to play in the USFL and just wait for the NFL draft. And you know, I, I didn't really have an idea that the Giants were going to select me. Um, and none of our coaching staff really did, but, but they had spent a significant amount of time looking at me and, and Bill Parcells really took a liking to my style of play. He, he likes to have in his three, four defense, uh, a bright guy, you know, in the middle, calling the defense and, 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 and doing the things the right way. And I fit that mold. And that, that was ultimately what it came, came down to it. And then in 1984, I had a, you know, I had a really great training camp and they saw that I, I was, I literally stepped in and played without, without error from day one because they played a three, four defense. This was, this was old hat to me. And, you know, so some of the guys who were just coming in, not, not familiar with that defense, they, they, they couldn't pick it up. They weren't, they were, they were struggling quite a bit, but I excelled at it. So that was, that was some good stuff for me, but that, that, that's kind of, kind of how it started, Scott. 
Super cool. Super cool. So now you show up in New York, you get drafted. Um, I could only imagine sort of at the high of the high, you walk into the locker room to defense greatness. You have Bill Parcells as your head coach. You got Bill Belichick. Um, was he the D coordinator at the time? And he was our linebacker coach and defensive coordinator. Yeah. And then you're playing next to LT. So, I mean, what was that like mentality wise? We talk about so much of the mental aspect of the game. Did you, were you starstruck? Did you come in from day one and say, hey, I belong here? What was that like, sort of that first training camp as you were getting your feet wet there? Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll take you back to our first mini camp, actually. So just after the draft, we had a mini camp and kind of a little broader than what they do today. But they, they brought all the rookies in and we worked with the, uh, uh, with, with the veterans uh, in, in, you know, in, in a few practices. Um, and you, know, you could see how they prepared. You could see how the team was fit together. Let's face it, the Giants had not been a very successful winning program or team, you know, for many, many years. And so they were pretty what we would call downtrodden. And, you know, the fan base was just uh, you know, wanting, a wanting to win, wanting to win. And, and in 1984 was really the turning point for the New York Giants as far as that, because Bill Parcells had been the head coach the previous year. This is his, his, his draft. Uh, and so 1984 is, I think, probably – the greatest draft the NFL, the New York Giants ever had because it put together a number of pieces of our team uh, that we played together for a number of years. And, and then we built on that in subsequent drafts to, uh, to build a foundation of a team. But when we went to minicamp that first year, myself and Carl Banks, Carl was a first round draft pick. I was a fourth round draft pick. And, you know, we're sitting in the defensive meeting room. And at the, after our last practice, we go into the defensive meeting room and sit down and, Belichick says about 10 words, and he says, veterans, you're done. Get out of here. Rookies, you guys stay. And so he left, and I mean, they, they all left, and he said, somebody get the door. And and he said, click off the light. And he sits behind the table, kicks his feet up on the table, and we're a bunch, bunch of, you know, about 20 rookies sitting sitting in the room here. He goes, guys, this is all I got to tell you. If you want to play football for the New York Giants, this is what it takes. He turns, he flips on the projector with two, 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 uh, two buttons that you have to turn on on the projector to make it work right. And he turns on what is literally a Lawrence Taylor highlight film. So what he had done is he put together a tape of what uh, Lawrence had done in his early years and his effort and so forth with the Giants. And it was an amazing, amazing uh Compliment, accomplishments that he could do on the field and the things that he were was is looks like it's inhuman. He covered punts, he covered kickoffs, he was running and sacking quarterbacks, and he strip sack, fumble, pick it up, run into a touchdown. He hit the quarterback just late as he throws it, get up, go down the field, strip somebody, cause a fumble, pick it up. I mean, just this, it's inhuman kind of stuff. And I'm I'm sitting there like, and they drafted me? What 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 what, <laughs> what, what are they trying to do here? So I'm. Uh, but, you know, that gave you the idea of what Belichick wanted to instill in us as defensive players. This is the level of effort. You know, it's one thing to have talent. It's one thing to have skill. It's one thing to have, you know, you know those things. But all of us are there because we have those skills. But it comes down to effort. And so I think what Belichick started in his earliest days right there in 1984 with us as rookies is that, this is the level of effort that we want to see established on the field every single play. And so in, we don't talk a lot about this, and this really hasn't been mentioned much in the media and so forth, but we had, a, we had one mantra among our team 
our defensive unit, and it's called relentless pursuit. Relentless pursuit is what it says. It says you have to have relentless pursuit from every position that every player to go all the way to the ball to the ball stops. And that's exactly what we, we need to, be, to instill in people. Sure, it takes beating you over the head and watching film and, you know, no hustles and all these things. But, but, but you got to have to you have to build to it. It's not something that happens overnight. And it, it, we got that 84. We kept building on it. We got into the playoffs 84. 85, another year for the playoffs. Man, our team was really molded and good. And then at 86, we just kind of steamrolled the entire league and got our first Super Bowl championship. So there was there were some building blocks there. And but really back to those those early days coming out of college and going to the Giants for the first time. I was surprised as, to be picked as, as as a linebacker because they previously had a, a a guy who played my position, Brian Kelly, who they later traded to uh, um, off I think to San Diego and. Um, it, it, it just needed to be Parcells wanted a little bit of a changing of the guard there, and and uh, Carl and I stepped in, and and we we you know we were we solidified our the linebacker core with Harry Carson, Lawrence Taylor, myself, and and, and Carl. So that was a good group. That's incredible, man. And I mean, you know, the legends, I mean, you know, goes down as one of the most legendary defenses in all of football. And so, I mean, you know, it's just incredible to sort of hear the mantra. Now, I have to ask the question, which I'm sure you get quite a bit. At that time when Bill kicked up his feet, flicks on the film, now reflecting back on the amazing career that he's had as a coach, was there anything different about him that stuck out that you're like, hey, this guy is going to be the GOAT coach of the NFL, maybe one of the best to ever play, you know, coach the game? Or was he just sort of run of the mill? What was that like um, now reflecting on his successful tenure? Yeah, I think back when I reflect on how he coached and I think how Parcells coached his coaches, um, it's a level of called consistency. Okay. You got everything from Bill Belichick and the other coaches on our staff every single day. And it was consistent. Uh, you know, there's, there's no up, there's no down. There's not, there's not anything. It's just getting to work. You got to do the work. Uh, and, you know, I think the biggest thing that we all learned and took away from Belichick and is, is have, have the ability to, to have preparedness, being prepared, Okay, whatever the circumstance is, whatever the down is, the distance, the, the situation, you have to be prepared for that. Whatever, whatever the game throws at you as a curve, whether it's an injury or just something you couldn't foresee, you have to have a way to be prepared for it. And we were, you know, and, and we had a bunch of players that played together for a long time. And that's why we we're able to have perennial success back then. It's difficult today in today's game because of the free agency era era. And it's, uh, you know, trying to keep players together is not as easy uh, because of, the, you know, the way the finances work and players are moving and trying to, trying to secure their, their financial uh, you know, well-being, so to speak. But yep. uh, it, it's a, it was a different environment back then. But I, I think to answer your question in total, you know, did we see something great in Bill? Bill was, you know, he was just a coach. But what we saw every single day was the consistency of approach and the demanding uh, of us to get better. I remember Belichick just just getting into my rear end uh, every, every, every practice and trying to pull more out of me, pull more out of me. And that's the mark of a good coach because, you know, the coach's job is to, is to prepare their players and help them succeed on the field, you know, put them in a position where they can succeed on the field. And that's what he was doing with me, preparing me to play to the level that I needed to get to to, to, to help excel our defense. And and, uh, I, you know, I improved, you know, with, with his with his barking at me. But Carl Banks, my God, they, they almost killed him in training camp, all the things that ran him through his first year because he was the number three pick of the draft. 
and it, it was there was so much expectation around Carl, and, and it was tough. Our first training camp, I'm, I'm like, man, they're they're about to kill this young man. I, I, I it, it, it was all the things that they had him doing, but it was it was meant to, to put something out there for all of us. They knew that Carl could do it. They knew that Carl could go through it. And what it did was it showed that he's tough and he's not giving in. Carl, there was no one let in and for Carl. And, uh, you know, he and I together, we're just like, man, this, this, this is not an easy, this is not an easy thing. You think we're going to be high ground draft pick and commander expect, they didn't give us, they didn't give us the, the right to start. They didn't, they, we didn't start in, in our first season. We only started the, the game six, the sixth game of the season is only the first time the Belichick uh, Parcells allowed Carl and I to start for our defense. You know, previously we, we, they'd have other guys start and we'd come right in and play, but we didn't get, we didn't get to start. We had to earn that right. And, wow. uh, and we did that. So it's, it's an interesting uh, legacy that we have of, of what the, what the preparedness is with Belichick and, and the toughness. So stuff here that I hadn't thought about in a long time. I'm glad to share it with you. Ah, this is incredible. I uh, we're going down hit you know memory lane here. I love it. So, um, you know, one of the things as I was an athlete, Gary, um, as I transitioned into the professional world, um, you know, you focus on stealing inches, right? Because you can steal inches and they turn into yards. Yards turn to first downs. First downs turn to touchdowns. And you can take that analogy across the uh, you know uh, across any para or any paradigm. I'm curious. You played next to arguably one of the best defensive players to ever play the game. Is there something that sticks out that you stole from LT that you directly applied to your life um, that has made a difference or an impact around work ethic or, you know, just any intangible quality that he had? You know, it, it is consistency of effort. You know, you just have to have that effort. Lawrence had the, had the skill and the talent and the physical traits that really made him the super elite, but he also had a willpower. And the willpower and the desire and you know did he win every battle no nobody wins every battle but but you cert he certainly fought as hard as he could at all times and that's what you saw whether he was sick ill whatever when we all followed suit we all played ill sick you know all those things that you hurt um you just don't give in you just literally can't give in and so whatever your goal is whatever your objective is whatever you're trying to achieve you simply can do that by persistence. Okay, I call I, I call advertising and marketing persistency and consistency. Okay, that's all it is. You know, whenever you're trying to get the message out about your business, your client, your 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 services, your your products, communicate about it, but do it persistently, a lot, and consistently. Tell them about it all the time, but the same way, and deliver that same appropriate message. So it's the same thing in sports. Do it persistently and consistently, and you're going to get results. Those that try to go skewed one way to try to get some special play or something, yeah, it may work, but guess what? You're not going to have continued success that way. You have to have a structure and a foundation. And so, you know, when I when I do public speaking, I, I like to talk about the word yes, and it's Y over E over S. The letter Y is really what is your why? What what is your goal objective? E is what are the expectations? What do you have? What are the expectations you have to achieve before you can reach your why? And then S is simply the structure, the foundation of everything that you need. So Y over E over S, written that way, provides you a tool that you can measure anything and put that you can uh, want to achieve in a simple goal structure environment. So you need structure, you need, you need to know what you need to do to achieve it, then obviously you can achieve that goal once you, once you, once you accomplish those things. So there's, a, there's, there's, there's your free lesson for the day, Scott. 
Oh, I love it. And you know, it's funny is I've tuned into other podcasts and you've kept that really close to the chest. So I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners there um, because that yes philosophy is incredible, but you have to know where you're going. And so um, totally resonates. Now I want to go ahead. Um, gosh, in my heart as a Bills fan, I want to skip over the 90, 91 season where you guys beat us. Norwood goes, you know, <laughs> wide again or for the first time. And so, um, you know, but I just want to ask one question because I really want to focus on the college football side of things for a second as we start to transition um, out of your career. But take me through Super Bowl championships. You've won two of them. It's an incredible feat that the half a percent, a half a percent gets you. Is there any moment when you're sitting up at the top of the mountain that sticks out to you like we did it, we made it, um, floors yours? Because I don't even know what to ask anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I think for most players in the in the NFL um, who aspire to get to the, get to the big game, the biggest thrill of winning is literally the AFC or NFC championship game. So when you win that game, you've earned your right to play in the Super Bowl, and then from there you prepare, you you, you plan to succeed. So, but I think winning the AFC and NFC championship games are so critical and so much fun and so much euphoria because why? It, it, you're, you're putting your, your, your team, your city, your community all on your back and we're, hey, we're going together. And it really is. It's a together moment for, for everybody. I remember when we first made our, our first Super Bowl run in 1986, our 86 season was just tremendous. I, I shared previously 84, 85 kind of building block years. We had great success. But 86, we really had a great team and we did so well. Um, I, I thought we could have been 16-0 and that year. But 14 and two is pretty good. Then we, you know, we just ro- went right on through the playoffs. But the community, everything, you know, anywhere you go when you're in your success in a community where you're in the NFL and, you, and you're on the precipice of being great and having greatness, it, it's magical. It is a magical time in that in that environment, that community. And so all around New York, uh, it, it was it was those times. And just think of that place as a really special place when the New York football giants are about to knock on the Super Bowl door again. And it, it, that's, that's kind of what it turns into. I enjoyed that. I, I, I basically uh, uh, loved having that whole field, but it was just business. You had to go get down to business as usual. And, and you know, Parcells did a good job of trying to ground us and let us and not let us get out of focus. You know, you can look at all the peripheral stuff, all the community stuff that's going on. But if you get too caught up in that, you're not going to focus on your game. There was no no way that Parcells was going to allow, uh, allow that to happen, and Belichick with his with his own stuff as well with the. With our- oh, Gary, you there? Gary, test test. Well, we zoned oh. out, now I'm back. Hey, welcome to 2020, where all specialism <laughs> is off and we just got to take it as it comes. Um, no, that's incredible, though. You know, I mean, I, I think it's always interesting just to sort of hear that. Um, and we could spend so much time just talking about that phase. Uh, you know, it's going to be really cool. We actually have another giant who won with Eli coming on at the end of the week. So Benny Fowler, I'm excited to ask him the same question, um, you know, what it's like, but what a treat to get two, you know, two giant Super Bowl winners in one week. 
Now, I want to jump forward a little bit because 96, you, I believe, are just on the back end of your career and the FedEx envelope shows up. And I think this was quite a bit of a surprise to you with what was in that. Would love for you to go ahead, sort of walk the listeners through what you opened in that envelope and what that has meant to your life as a football player. Yeah, so you're referring to uh, something that happened to me, uh, an accolade that I received. And, um, you know, I finished my career in 92, started broadcasting for ABC Sports in, in uh, 1994. Uh, spent a great, you know, I've had a great broadcasting career, and here we are in 2020, and I'm still calling calling football games as, as a game analyst. So, you know, over 25, 26 years I've been involved uh, as, as a college football analyst and just still love the game, and, and it's, a, it's a fun way to spend a Saturday, be, in, be on a college campus somewhere and, and have some fun. So uh, I enjoy it. But back to the, back to the accolade, you know, I've, I, I've had some cool accolades thrown my way. Uh, but, you know, in 1996, I was sitting in my home in Spring, Texas, just north of Houston, and I had a FedEx truck pull up and come up to the door, and uh, I go to the door, sign for the FedEx, and that's the letter for me, and I'm like, I'm not expecting anything, so I go around and sit in my office and sit in my chair, open it up, and, and I open this letter, and it says, Gary Reasons, we'd like to um, inform you that you have been selected for induction to the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, so right then and there, I, you know, you, you take me and, you know, I'm a gregarious guy, but, uh, you know, I turned to putty right there, just, just melted and started crying. And, uh, because, you know, that accolade of all the, the thousands and thousands of guys who played in the NFL, that's cool. But all the millions of players who have played college football, uh, there's only a, a few, well, not even 2000 guys that have been inducted to the college football hall of fame. It's a it's it's a it's it's an enormous it's an enormous uh, accolade that was uh, bestowed upon me. So I had a great career in college. I was the first ever three-time one AA All-American. Uh, FCS program is what one AA is today. And so you know having that accolade you know come my way it wasn't something I expected. I, I, I cherish that today. So I embrace the FCS the one AA aspect of, of football. I love college football. Uh, I love being able to, you know, have a have a have a voice in football, and you know, being able to to have those things, you know, it takes take a lot of time and, and effort, but it, but it, it's just been a fun ride for me as well. So that is uh, that was the most uh, the best accolade that was that has ever been given to me. Of, you know, I'm in a couple of halls of fames in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, and you know, had my uh, high school stadium field named after me, that which was really pretty cool. So, you know, but those are things that come with people, I, I guess you get some level of respect from uh, the people who watch your career and watch those things. And I don't ask for them. Never, never, you know, they're, 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 they're just sharing that they'd like to do this. And this is what's happened. And um, a couple of those have kind of get, caught me up, caught me by off guard. And uh, that one in 96 was really that one. Uh, that's so, I, I mean, that's incredible. And if I'm not mistaken, they just went ahead and revamped the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, correct? Is that over there by yeah, the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Yeah, our, our group of uh, the first inductee group, which which included myself, Walter Payton, uh, Billy White Shoes Johnson, uh, Terry Bradshaw, you know, a number of guys, um, you know, it, it, it's a who's who's list that I'm, I'm, that I'm, that I'm being inducted with. But that was in in, in the, uh, South Bend, Indiana. It used to be the old, the original stop, just south of uh, of Notre Dame on campus. So uh, the Hall of Fame was there. They moved it to Atlanta. So the College Football Hall of Fame is is is, is in downtown Atlanta. 
right near the Mercedes-Benz Dome there. So it's a, it's a cool spot. People go to Atlanta, definitely go check out the College Football Hall of Fame because it is a, it's, a, it's one of a kind. Well, I, I've been there, and Gary, no disrespect to you at all, but I might have glossed over the name because there are so many. I mean, you just get starstruck when you're in there, but, um, you know, huge shout out to what they did revamping it. And Gary, you bet your ass the next time I'm there, I'm going to be just enamored with what you've done and all the accolades there. So, um, you know, this is so just so much knowledge that you're, you're leaving us with. Um, I want to talk about life after football. Um, you know, so, so you go ahead and you hang up your cleats, you go into your broadcasting career, but you really start to become diversified with, you know, stops at Hewlett Packer and doing stuff in the tech world. What was that transition like after being at the absolute pinnacle as an athlete? Was it pretty fluid for you to the other side or sort of take the listeners on that journey as you go into quote unquote, the real world? Well, sure. Back uh, back when I played, so I played from 84 to 92 in the National Football League. And, and believe it or not, even back then, early in my career, it was in vogue, which means it was more likely that guys would have a second career. In other words, we would have a second career in the offseason. So what happened was I, I got my uh, Series 2nd Financial Services license, Series 7 Financial Services license, uh, and worked uh, with a Wall Street firm, with Oppenheimer and Company out of Houston and, and New York. Um, for a few years, um, it just just because I knew that I, my career could end any time, and I needed to you know fall back on a on a career, so I got into that, and so I wound up you know pulling out of that that the whole area for for a little while. But it, as I always prepared to your next play was going to be your last. I was fortunate to play nine years. You can't you never know what the, what that time is going to be. So I was always future minded, looking to to what was I going to do. And I'm very fortunate to be able to uh, to do some cool things. And you know, I was entrepreneurial after my after my career ended, and, and also got in the broadcast world. So I, I was I was fulfilled both with having sports, uh, you know, in the fall uh, every 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 fall and on the Saturdays and the weekends that I would do do deal with college football. But then I'd have some business pursuits that uh, I've had along the way that kept me uh, really really enriched. Um, you know, I, I love technology. So technology is one of those things that uh, I've always been on top of. I've always been kind of in, in step with and, you know, maintain that. And so I use my sports background and sports ability uh, to make connections and people. It's really a people world out there. So when you kind of focus on that and, and really what I've kind of done here lately is I've really focused on helping people, helping others. And that's what we try to do. Um, you know, with our business pursuits, we, we try to help others succeed. That's kind of a, a mantra I have with my group called Pro Athletes Team. And we, uh, you know, that's all we do. We bring value to people and our companies and, and give them opportunities to, to increase their revenue or, or save money or different things with the programs we represent. And it's, there's not, I'm not trying to sell them anything. I'm just trying to help them. And that's, that's really how we've gone about it. But, but, but football and sports has been the common denominator in my life, literally, as I told, said earlier, since the age of eight, I've been been involved in football every single weekend in the fall uh, for 50 years. It's it's really been a been a fun ride, and I live it today. And every time I when I'm out of season, I'm still talking football because everybody that I meet, I'm talking just like with you, Scott, and I and I can talk football all the time. It's not a, it's not a tiresome subject to me. Um, I, I really enjoy visiting about it and sports. I start with football, but sports is a common denominator with with other sports and activities and families and business. And, you know, it, it's a way that people connect. 
So I found my way to connect with people through sports and simply ask them about their family and their lives and whatever. And the next thing you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a way to make a connection with somebody and have a relationship. And then once you're able to create a relationship, then if you're doing business or you have some things that, that could fit for each other, that's when the magic happens. So I've been fortunate to be able to do a number of things in that regard. You got to stop. Yeah. Talk yep. No, you're good. It is it is a people's world. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the world becomes your oyster as you're able to go out and find commonalities. Um, you know, Gary, I had a question for you, pretty pointed, right, because you were enamored on the technology side of things and the football side of things. And so obviously the game in the 50 years that you've been in and around it has changed quite a bit. What has been sort of the biggest evolution of the game as you were playing it and now covering it as a broadcaster um, that you've seen since you've been a part of you know football in your journey? Uh, I think just the data around um, you know the different ways to attack the field. Um, you know, if you look at how the game has changed from uh, the game what I, I grew up on in the 1970s, watching you know. Football, it was pretty much run inside the box. You know, your your internal power running game. I I I played that in the NFL as as an early part of my career, and then then it started to morph a little bit. I think you know the Bills teams are a good example of your favorite teams of how they would throw the ball around uh, and be able to spread the ball. So I think the pass concepts of trying to uh, to utilize and get the ball out in space to keep to to playmakers. And get them one on one, and try to get them to get an opportunity to do something, whether it's a screen out there, or, you know, a slip screen, those kinds of things. But I think I think utilizing the field, and then actually enhancing throwing and catching. So that that is something that started in the '90s here in Texas with uh, the, the advent of the spread offense. So early to the circa two, right around 2000, it started to become in vogue to be able to do this spread offense concept. But really all it is, it's improving skills of throwing and catching on a day-to-day -day basis. That way you have all, you, all your players throwing and catching. That's all they did. So you take a seven-on-seven -seven concept, you put that in the summertime. I think the skill level is has enhanced in the receivers and the quarterbacks of throwing and catching. And that has really been changed. So if you look at Terry Bradshaw, you know he's in the, he's in the National Football League Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, and his passer – completion percentage, I think is 57, 58%. Look, Mr. Drew Brees, who plays today, and he's now at the 75 plus percentage on completion percentage. So just a varying difference of what the game has been about, but also there's been a focus on the basic skills of throwing and catching a football. And those are the, those are the things that I have seen that the biggest change and they've brought the biggest change with some of the schemes that we've seen. Yeah. And the game is continually to get spread out. Um, we're continuing to get bigger, faster, stronger. So really, really quite special to go ahead and get that, um, you know, through your lens there. So, Gary, as we start to wind down, going to shift one one personal question, one more football question for you. You've met some incredible running backs and fullbacks and wide receivers. You met them in the hole. Is there anyone that sticks out to you that just ran like a thoroughbred that is like, man, if I had to go back, I don't want to see that guy in the hole again? Well, I'll give you a couple here. So, you know, when we used to play the Dallas Cowboys, it was Tony Dorsett over there, you know, so come downhill and Tony, I, I, I remember one play specifically, he dove into the ground. <laughs> 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 I didn't want to get hit. So that's a joke, Tony. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, you know, back in the day, we had a, we had a running back that we played against. I played against John Riggins. I you know I played against them all. You know, Eric Dickerson in the NFL. 
you know, some great running backs. And James Wilder was was a running back who was with the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Buccaneers back then, and he was he was a really really tough guy to tackle and bring down. Uh, you know, Barry Sanders. You know, I couldn't catch the guy. <laughs> I still see him spinning around and running away from me now in, in my in my dreams. I'm. Um, there's just a lot of great guys that I, we played against, and anything, you, you, pretty much anybody that you could put up there. We we, we had some battles with them. Had had the respect to you know play against uh, Earl Campbell, and uh, he just we caught him late in his career. He was with the with the with the New Orleans Saints at the time. So I, I can't I can't say that there's one or, or the other. Uh, you know, I, I do do think that there's a, a lot of great running backs that that we uh, encountered, and uh, but. You know, just just to, I, as a defensive guy, believe it or not, I remember the missed tackles that I made more so than than in. Well, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Reasons for the third time today. <laughs> welcome back. We almost made it there, um, you know, and, and it is so hard, I, I mean, to try and take the grace that, you know, you played against and narrowed down to one. I don't. I think that's almost impossible. But uh, before our internet, you know, gives us havoc and wreaks havoc on us again, uh, we have one more question for you, and we're going to wind down on this, Gary. But, uh, you know, it's something that we've asked all of our guests, and with your decorated tenure, I'm excited for your answer. But if there's one thing that you've done in your life that you would recommend our guest listeners do or experience in their life, what would that be and why? What would I recommend that everyone do? Yes, sir. Um, I, I, think, I think it's, you know, stay connected with people uh, because it is a people world and don't go into the bunker and don't go in and live by yourself, but be around people. Um, and, you know, you're going to need people to help you in your business pursuits and what's have, what you, what, whatever you're going to achieve. But at the same time, you know, all throughout your life, you're going to want to have, to, you're going to be around people to enrich you. Uh, the relationships that you have, uh, just, you know, hopefully you have great family and hopefully you have uh, opportunities to communicate and, and connect with people. Um, you know, and you find people find that they're, that they're around others at work or in their community, but we're all people, you know, that's what, that's what the human race is all about. It's about people. So I would say, be as open and just be as connected and put a smile on your face every day and just be connected with people because that's that's what makes the world go around. Especially in 2020, guys, I know everybody is going through this together. Find unique ways to connect. Um, I mean, look at it was a simple message to Gary on LinkedIn and, you know, we spark this conversation and who knows where it goes. So uh, Gary, I know you're doing a bunch of stuff um, on the keynote speaking side of things. You have many business ventures going on. Um, LinkedIn obviously is a channel where you can be reached, but where can our listeners go and get more information if they do want um, to take advantage of your services? Yeah, just if you want to look at look at me, just find me on LinkedIn, that'd be great. And and we, we run a group called Pro Athletes Team, I do. And you know, we're a bunch of business executives and former players. And we have these valuable programs. You know, we, we help we help companies uh, 
uh, with our with some healthcare programs and some financial services. But take a look there and then connect with me, and then we'll talk more about them. But really, some valuable solutions that uh, any any large company could could benefit from. Amazing. And what we're going to do, Gary, is we're going to post all the links when we release the episode that um, so we make it easy for everybody to continue to find ways into your world. Uh, but as we wind down, man, I got to tell you, as a as a football fan, as a former football player and just a human being, thank you so much for coming on. Um, the work you did on the field and what you're doing off the field is it's role model status, man. So thank you so much from Check, Checkpoint and Scott Garber. And until next time, Gary. Yeah. Until next time, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Listen, be sure to check yourself. Bye now. <laughs>